Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. This is Pat Iyer with Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm pleased to bring to you today a topic that could strike any of us at any time, and that is the topic of a sudden catastrophic stroke. With me today is Dr. Brenda Towsley, who is a neurology clinical specialist. She works in a teaching hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, and has a background in neurology, in critical care, served in the Army for several years, and has been in the critical care environment for much of her nursing career. Brenda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. It's good to be here. I know that stroke care has changed a great deal over the last 20 or 30 years. The basics, however, of the types of strokes probably have not changed. So let me ask you, first of all, what are the different kinds of strokes that can affect us? So there's two major types of stroke. There's your um, ischemic stroke, which is the a clot either forms in your brain or it's thrown to your brain. Um, AFib is kind of the biggest culprit for that, throwing it um, to your brain. And then there is the hemorrhagic stroke, which could be either a leaky vessel or a ruptured vessel. So those are your two main types and how we treat them is very different based on, on what the actual um, cause of the injury is. And I think about the situations where a person could have a stroke in their home, in a car, um, in a hospital, who needs to be able to recognize quickly that there's something drastically wrong and that the patient might be in the process of having a stroke? Everybody in the world. <laughs> there, there's nobody who really shouldn't know. I mean, you know, most people know that if you if you see somebody doing this, that, you know, they might be having a heart attack or something like that. We need to have the same um, understanding for stroke because, um like you said, it can be totally catastrophic. And if people wait or they're not recognized quickly and stuff like that, there's not a lot we can do with it after a certain period of time. It's very time sensitive. Um, your neurons die quickly and um, the treatments that we have are have a time limit on them. So we really have to have that quick recognition, get them into where they can be seen, call 911, that kind of stuff. So that be fast, um, the balance, the eyes, the face, the arms, the speech, and then T is time. So calling 911, getting into an emergency department as quickly as possible. Um, people need to understand those, all of everybody. There's nobody who doesn't, you know, um, your EMS guys, they need to understand um, what it is being able to call it in the field and say, call the emergency department and say, hey, 
we have a person we think is having a stroke, we're coming in, we'll be there in five minutes. And what that does is it allows the emergency department to rally all the troops. So we have everybody there waiting for that person when they get into the emergency department so that we can, um, you know, get them to the CT scan or check their blood sugar, check their blood pressure, all of those things that we need to do right away get their labs and stuff like that. But and we have to get that CT scan because that's the the defining point as far as whether we're looking at an ischemic event or we're looking at a hemorrhagic event. Because like I said, it's, it's two different pathways once we figure that out. But until then, it's all the same thing. It's getting those other things in there. So um, trying to rule out hypoglycemia is a good mimic. So anybody who is diabetic or something like that, we, we do a blood sugar on everybody. So mm -hmm. they get all that. Everybody has to have a, a, a blood pressure that's under a certain limit so that we can, um, uh, we can't give them the medications and stuff like that it, without that blood pressure being at a certain level, um, to break up those clots if it is an ischemic one. So, and we can talk about, um, alteplase. Let me take you back to something that you just said, and you gave a mnemonic, and the last was T is for time. Could you mm -hmm. go through that again with us? Yeah. So we so, understand each of those pieces. It's it's called B fast. And so B is um, the balance and the eyes. And those that tends to look for a stroke back here in the posterior part of your um, brain. Mm -hmm. And then the, the fast, which is the face. So you're looking for that facial symmetry. Do they have a, a droop or something like that? And then um, A is your arms. And so do they have one arm that's weak and the other one that isn't? Because usually it's very unilateral and it's usually very sudden. And then speech is that, do they have slurred speech or are they having a hard time finding the right words or they're talking a mile a minute and not a single piece of it makes any sense. Um, they have that word salad kind of thing. So it's, it's, um, those are the things that people need to be able to recognize so that they know to call and that's families, bystanders, um, you know, teachers in schools. Um, we had a gentleman who was at work and they recognized it right away, got him in. Um, he got the clot buster drug and he walked out in, less than a week. So, I mean, it is amazing if we can do all of the pieces that need to happen quickly. All right. And do we go through all the letters? I think so. B is balance. E is eyes. Face is, or F is fast or face. <laughs> um, A is your arms. So the weakness and then mm -hmm. that word salad or slurred. They sound like they're drunk or something like that. Sometimes those posterior strokes, um, they'll be dizzy and it's really hard to tell um, whether they're just dizzy, you know, maybe it's an inner ear kind of a thing or whatever. So we assume stroke until we prove otherwise. And then T was for time. And C is, T is for time. Yes. I know that there's a significant difference in symptoms also depending upon which side of the brain is affected. Right. Can you remind us again, where is the speech center, which part of the brain, and how does that play into where there might be a weakness in one of the sides? So anything that happens on the left side of the brain, they're going to have that weakness on the right side of the of their body. It's, it's always on the opposite side. So right side, it's going to be that left side of um, weakness. Mm -hmm. Your speech center for most people, um, even if you're left-handed, 
is over here on this left side. So if it's in this middle cerebral artery distribu distribution, then um, that's going to be a lot of the speech problems. Um, they're going to have that expressive aphasia. They may have that um, facial droop, the, the slurred speech, that kind of stuff. If they have the right side um, over here. What we tend to see with those patients is they have that neglect. Um, they don't recognize that that side of their body. You know, you'll be saying, whose hand is this? And they'll be like, I don't know whose it is. And it's theirs. So um, those tend to be the, the most... Um, signature, I guess, perhaps of one side versus the other. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, like I said, the posterior can be that dizziness, but a lot of patients have the um, dysphagia. So problem swallowing, it, it weakens the muscles in here. Um, they have that facial droop and stuff like that. Um, and then um, back here, they can also have visual problems. So maybe they have double vision or they have a field cut where they can't see out this way, but they can see straight ahead. Um, and usually it's um, one side or the other, or sometimes it can be bilateral, but um, a lot of times it is. If it's like total blindness in one eye, that might be something more with their retinal artery as opposed to, um, which would still be considered a stroke, um, which, um, is, but that happens more up here behind your eye as opposed to back here in the in your brain, just a bit because how the cranial nerves come out. You know, listening to you, Brenda, I can tell that you have explained this to many patients and <laughs> many families. You've got all of the wording down just right. I got to have the hand dishes too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. How could we talk without our hands? Right, exactly. I know that uh, there are... There's at least one significant stroke scale used by the National Institutes of Health in the United States to help the practitioners make decisions about how they're going to treat that stroke. Can you tell us about that scale? So it's the NIH stroke scale. So it's the National Institute of Health, the stroke scale. And it's the scale that they um, developed when they first did the AltaPlace um uh, trials clear back in the, like 20 years ago. And what they, what it does is it helps give us a quantitative, um, or, a uh, way to describe what's happening with the stroke. And it really does focus mostly on these middle cerebral artery area right here, this middle part. So it's looking at that weakness and that facial droop and, and something like that. So, they used to say, we used to um, treat based on what that number was. And now it's more, we're looking at the number because like I said, it's, if I say you have a, um, an NIH of 10, when you assess your patient, you're going to probably get very similar to that. It, it's very easy to, um, and I understand how severe maybe their stroke is or something like that. So it goes from zero clear up to 40. Um, and then um, the higher it is, the worse the stroke is. Um, and so we kind of use it to um, quantify how bad the stroke is. However, anymore, we do not use it for solely saying, yes, you get the TPA. No, you don't get the TPA because, or the Alteplase, the, the clot busting drug, because um, disability, they, we, they really try to get, we try to look at the disability. So somebody comes in with visual problems from a posterior stroke, 
that's very disabling for somebody, you know, they might not be able to read or drive or, you know, do their job, the things that they, that they can um, need to be able to do to have a quality of life. So that's disabling, but it may only give them like a two on the NIH stroke scale. So um, that would, so we kind of look at both pieces of that. So how disabling is it for the person and um, what is that NIH stroke scale? Just for kind of that consistency amongst providers across all levels of care. And then I know another factor, and maybe this is part of the stroke scale, is the question of when was that person last normal? Yes. That is one of the most important questions that um, whoever brings that person in can tell us, because that's where that clock, that clock starts for, for when we can give the drug or when we can do like a neuro um, interventional procedure. So the, it, and it's the last time somebody actually saw that person totally deficit free or at their baseline. So, you know, some people will go to bed, they're totally normal, they wake up and they have symptoms of a stroke. Well, they're, they're last known well as the night before. It's not the morning when they woke up and, and noticed the symptoms. So um, it's, it's really being sure when somebody actually really truly did see that person without any deficits um, or, you know, talk to them on the phone or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's, it, you know, they got up, they did fine. They got ready for work and stuff like that. They sat down at the breakfast table and then that's when they collapsed or whatever. So then, you know, exactly what time that is. Um, but then, you know, they, they went to bed, they get up and they fall when they get out of bed because they have weakness on that one side. And um, then it's whatever time they went to bed, or maybe if they got up in the middle of the night and went to the bathroom or something like that, then you know that they were okay then. Um, so then you can use that as your last known well. So there's, um, <clears throat> cause our, our window is very small as far as giving them the clot lusting drug. Um, from that last known well time, we have, have up to four and a half hours. So it, it kind of depends on the patient and the, um, you know, what their other conditions are, things like that, what medications they're on, that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's a four and a half hour window. So, you know, if they went to bed at nine o'clock, they got up at seven o'clock with the symptoms, they're already outside the window. So we, there's not a lot we can do for the drug. Now there is um, the thrombectomy, the mechanical thrombectomy that we can do for them if they meet certain criteria again. So it's very specific patients that can have that. Tell us about those patients. Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. As a legal nurse consultant, you understand the importance of staying ahead in this fast-paced and ever-evolving industry. Today, we'll explore how AI can become your aid rather than a replacement. Thank you for joining me today. As a legal nurse consultant myself, I know the concerns and questions that arise when we talk about AI and its potential impact on our profession. In this session at our October 26, 27, and 28, 2023 LNC Success Online Conference, 
we'll delve into the latest AI-powered tools and strategies that can streamline your business, your processes, enhance your services, and ultimately deliver better outcomes for your clients. What will you discover in this session? First, we'll explore how to harness the power of AI for content creation. We'll discuss how AI algorithms can assist in generating high-quality written material, saving you time and effort. Secondly, we'll address an important aspect of working with our attorney clients, effectively discussing AI's power and limitations. It's crucial that they understand the value of our skills in cases that we're analyzing and how AI can enhance, not replace, our expertise. Communication is key, and by bridging the gap between AI and human capabilities, we can build stronger relationships with our attorney clients. Next, we'll explore a range of AI-powered tools and technologies that can assist in streamlining your business processes and creating content. AI can be a game changer. Discover how these innovative technologies can revolutionize the way you work. Lastly, we'll discuss practical tips and best practices for integrating AI into your LNC business. We'll explore considerations for selecting the right tools to ensure a seamless and efficient transition. I've been using AI tools in my own LNC business since 2022. And at our October 26, 27, and 28, 2023 conference, I am excited to share what I've learned from this journey with all of you. Join us at this informative session and empower yourself with the knowledge to leverage AI as a valuable aid in your LNC practice. Let's embrace the future together. Sign up for your seat at the online conference using the link directly below this video. I will see you there. Now let's return to the show. And also so, what's involved in a thrombectomy, that sounds like a pretty invasive procedure. It is. It, so a lot of people are familiar with a cardiac cath, right? You go into the heart, you go into the, the cardiac cath lab, they go in, they look at the vessels in your heart and stuff like that. Um, and then they can put a stent in those um, vessels to open it back up and stuff like that. Well, with the brain, we can't, we don't really put the stent in there per se. Um, they do for the hemorrhagics a little bit, but for the most part, what they do is they go in and they suck that out. But that vessel has to be some of these that are closer down towards the bottom of your brain so that um, they can and be able to suck that, that clot out. If it's in too deep or in a small, small um, vessel, they can't do anything with it. So um, they they can only do it if it's it's in one of these bigger um, vessels that are, you know, towards the um, more proximal to you, to your carotids and stuff like that. So they go in, sometimes they'll go in through your, your artery here in your arm. They'll go in through your, um, femoral artery here, go up through your carotid and, and then they can suck that out. So, um, it's, it's a lot like a cardiac cath, but it goes in your brain instead. And so there's very select 
providers that can do it. So there's only very select centers, hospitals that actually do thrombectomy. So a lot of patients, even if you come into your local emergency department, you'll have to be transferred probably to another um, higher level of care, like in a, a big metropolitan area or something like that. Where I grew up, it was very rural. So all of those patients, you know, they may have come to the hospital that I worked at up there, but then we didn't do the thrombectomy piece. So we would have to send them on again. So, you know, they could potentially see three different hospitals um, out there. And, but the, the nice thing about the thrombectomy is, is we do have a 24 hour window. So it's a little bit longer window as long as they meet that other criteria. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and, and the providers, once they get them to that, that, um, that facility that can do that, they will do what we call a perfusion scan. And then they can see of that brain tissue, what's already dead and what they could salvage. And if there's not anything really that they can salvage, um, then they can't do the, they don't do the thrombectomy because that just increases the risk of turning that ischemic stroke into a bleed as well. So. From what you've just described, Brenda, it sounds like for a person to have the best outcome possible, they should have a minor stroke. They should have it in as close as possible to a tertiary care facility that has the ability to intervene, to diagnose, to mm-hmm. treat appropriately, remove that clot. And if all those factors are not lined up, plus it has to be in the daytime when somebody recognizes the problem right away rather than mm-hmm. it occurring while they're sleeping then you've got the odds stacked against you. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, there's a very short window that we have and, you know, up to 24 for the other, but there's a small percentage of patients that we can actually do either one of them for, Um, you know, the the clot busting drug, they have to be you know, within that window, they, they can't already be on some kind of anticoagulation. They can't have any kind of a bleeding problem, um, you know, things like that. So there's things that limit when we can give that because the, the major side effect of Alteplase or TPA is bleeding. And so we want to make sure that we, um, don't do, give it to somebody who we're going to cause to have, um, a, a bleed on top of the ischemic stroke that they already had. The thrombectomy, if if they you know come in quickly and we can get them there quickly, it, it's amazing. It's totally amazing the outcomes that patients have when they get in quickly and stuff like that. They, you know, it's it's a lot of times the difference between being able to go home with their family and having to live in a nursing home or something like that and be to, or totally be dependent on their family for their care, um, and the speech piece is, is huge. You know, if somebody can't um, either understand what people are talking, telling them or be able to express their needs and stuff like that, it's, it, that's very frustrating for them. And so those are the things that we are trying to make better so that we may not make it go completely away, but if we can make it better, then, then that's, you know, we have to look at that as a win as well. So. Let's focus on something that I think is critical for legal nurse consultants, and that is the ability to look at this from an analytical perspective. Mm-hmm. We've just discussed that the outcomes can be better if there's early recognition, appropriate mm-hmm. treatment. 
So let's pull this apart. What are the liability issues that we should be thinking about when an attorney says to us, I have a family, they're coming to me because their father had a, a stroke and they want to know if there was any malpractice in this situation. Mm -hmm. Take us through that consideration of what we should be looking at. So some of, I think some of the biggest pieces are that early recognition. Did they recognize that they were coming in? Like I said, those posterior strokes tend to be the ones that maybe get missed um, just because they're not as straightforward as somebody who's got the slurred speech and the droopy face and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so delayed diagnosis is always something not being able to, um, get all of the things done in a timely manner. I was consulted on a case where um, he came in with a headache, um, but he had also um, taken more of his ADHD medications than what he was prescribed because he wanted to feel better. Um, they were thinking he was more of a overdose um, that, so it was like six hours before they did his CT scan. And when they did the CT scan, he had massive bleed on his head or on his, you know, in his brain. So those kinds of things, um, not making sure you ask the questions, making sure that the patient looks the way that you think that they should look, um, you know, like if they did overdose on an ADHD med, wouldn't you expect to see some of that sympathetic response and, and things like that. So looking at the whole picture and not just having it already in your brain that this is what it is and, and not going there. Migraines are one of the most common mimics that we treat as a stroke because they'll have like a, a paralysis on one side. Um, but you never know, you know, if, if, you know, the last time they were here, it was their migraine and, you know, cause we do an MRI and check it all out after the fact. But then the next time they come in, maybe it won't be that migraine. So you can't have that preconceived notion um, of what you think it's going to be before you go through the steps. So get that blood sugar, you know, do, do follow all of those pieces for that um, uh, rapid recognition. And then, you know, onto the path of treatment, whether it's ischemic or hemorrhagic. Um, I think that those are probably the biggest ones that delay in diagnosis and then not being able to get them the treatment that they need if they qualify for it. And that's the big one right there. It's that if they qualify for it, because not everybody is going to be eligible for TPA or for the um, neuro interventional suite either. So, um, and it really depends. And then, you know, what did we do after that we admitted the patient? Did we do all of the things that we should do to, help them get better, you know, be able to get their therapies and, and do the swallow screen to make sure that they um, aren't aspirating before we start feeding them or giving them medications, things like that. So there's, it, there's guidelines that are published um, by the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association. And so I think that they um, really outline exactly the way that stroke care should happen. And so if there's missing pieces within that um, chain of survival, then um, I think that those are places where we um, have the liability. What a great summary of all of the missteps, Brenda, that can occur in 
what can turn into such a catastrophic outcome, the damages mm -hmm. are huge. So from mm -hmm. that standpoint alone, I know that plaintiff attorneys in particular are very concerned with whether this potential plaintiff got the appropriate care mm -hmm. is the case that they can establish where there's liability because the question of damages is not typically a problem when mm -hmm. from a medical legal perspective we know this person was significantly affected mm -hmm. life changed forever right in so many ways so many aspects of life that are mm -hmm. affected by suffering a significant stroke so backing backwards how mm -hmm. can we as the legal nurse consultant help the attorney piece through what happened in those critical time frames mm -hmm. that you've described to us so clearly of Mm -hmm. You thought, as you said, uh, time is brain. When was the person last normal? Right. You've got a window in which everything has to work correctly. Right, right. And and if there's one little breakdown in that, you know, sometimes it, you know, sometimes, you know, 10 minutes here or there may not make a huge difference, but it's, you're still losing neurons during that 10 minute period. So, um, you know, it's, it's very important that, um, you know, if they recognize it in the field, they've called 911, EMS calls the hospital, says we're bringing in a stroke alert, the stroke alert in the ER is called so that everybody's waiting for them and, and everything goes the way that it's supposed to so that um, you can do it. Um, you know, like I said, we had a gentleman who he collapsed at work um, and they recognized that he was having a stroke. He got his um, into the um, emergency department, had his alta place in less than 60 minutes, which is our goal, which is um, less than 60 minutes quicker if you can. But um, there's, you know, there's a certain things that you have to do. You know, if their blood pressure is too high, you have to control that, all those things. But like I said, he walked out, walked out, um, with, mm. you know, no deficits in less than a week. So very catastrophic. It could have been very catastrophic if say he woke up with that, you know, he was still the sole breadwinner for his family. He was supporting his family. Um, he wouldn't be able to do any of that anymore. Um, if, you know, things hadn't done, but the fact that his coworkers recognized that he was doing that, they called 911, they got him in. Um, we had another case that was flown into us from um, one of the very rural facilities. Um, they called it in the, in the air that he would, the person was having a stroke, um, got TPA, got sent back out to the tertiary, the, the bigger facility, um, got the thrombectomy and same thing. He walked out, had just a little bit of um, speech problem, but um, nothing that would really affect him being able to go back to work continue doing the things that he do, he does. And I think the other thing that I want to make sure is a lot of times stroke is an equal opportunity um, process, whatever. It doesn't matter. This guy was like 20 something. I can't even remember, but he was young, um, not very old. Uh, it can happen to anybody. So I think that we just need to make sure that we don't have those preconceived notions because that's where that liability is going to follow you, I think. And that's a great point, Brenda, because I know somebody whose daughter had a stroke when she was about two years mm -hmm. old mm -hmm. and it was not diagnosed and it wasn't treated. And there are mm -hmm. some catastrophic 
remnants of damage. Remnants mm -hmm. is not even the right word. Sig mm -hmm. Significant effects for this child mm -hmm. because it was not something that people taking care right. of this baby or this young child even entertained as a possibility. Right, right. Yeah. And that could be a whole nother podcast, which we're not going to go into <laughs> today. I know that the people who are listening to this program, Brenda, are going to want to know how to reach you. Again, you're a neurology clinical nurse specialist. You have your doctorate. You provide expert witness services in neurological related conditions, as well as help behind the scenes on some other types of cases. Mm -hmm. Tell our listener, what would be the best way to connect with you? So they can go out to my website, which is um, TowsleyRNConsultingServices.com. And I have a contact form on there that they can fill out. And that goes directly to my um, email so they can get a hold of me there. I'm also on LinkedIn under Brenda Towsley. And then um, Facebook is Towsley RN Consulting Services. So um, they can find me on any of those um, platforms. Many of the people who are listening to this podcast are going to say, hey, Pat, could you ask Brenda again to say those and to spell out her last <laughs> name? If you're watching this on YouTube, Brenda's name will be on this video. If you are going to podcast.legalnursebusiness.com, there are show notes with connections to Brenda's social media profiles. And if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, Let's give that again, Brenda. Those it's contests. Towsley, Towsley, T O U S L E Y R N consulting services.com. That's my website. And then um, Brenda Towsley or um, Towsley RN consulting services on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks so much for being a guest on Legal Thank Nurse you. Podcast, Brenda. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have shed some light on what is such a, a serious concern, such a serious condition. And in indirect ways, Brenda, makes me think about all of the things that we need to do to take care of our health so that mm -hmm. we decrease our risk factors for stroke. And that Very this is so. not something that we ever have to experience in our lifetime and hope that nobody close to us ever goes through this. That would be the ideal. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Watch your blood pressure, watch your cholesterol, exercise, eat right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All of those things are so important. Take care of mm -hmm. your body. It's the only one that you got. Exactly. Yes. And for you who's been listening to this podcast, a reminder that we have a membership program for legal nurse consultants called LNCEU. Com, which is an opportunity each month to be able to receive a new download of a book that I have written, as well as one of our carefully selected conference sessions, a one hour to one and a half hour long dose of business or clinical advice for legal nurse consultants. You can join the program by going to lnceu.com and sign up for the annual plan or the monthly plan, and every month receive additional learning opportunities from me. Be sure to come back next week for a new show, new speaker, new topic, and keep on marketing, helping your attorney clients, and making a difference in the world. Thanks so much.
Thank you. Hey, coming up next, you'll have an opportunity to hear from an experienced legal nurse consultant who will say to you, this is not my first rodeo, as we say in the United States, meaning I've been in this field for more than 30 years. Cheryl Gaddy is a legal nurse consultant who has experience both as an expert witness for med surge cases, as well as an independent consultant working behind the scenes. And she is now at the other end of her career as she begins to wind down her business. An ideal time for her to come on the show and share some of the wisdom that she acquired as a result of working in this field for so many years. I know you're going to enjoy Cheryl's podcast. And now I'll introduce Cheryl to you and ask Cheryl, what were some of the topics that we covered in your podcast? Thanks, Pat. We talked about a number of things and we started off with how I began my career 30 years ago, which is a very different experience than those of you listening are going to have. And, but there are many things that I am able to offer as I see as advice to people that are coming in as new legal nurse consultants. Talked a little bit about how we developed our business and what I developed as a partnership initially, and what I thought about partnerships in, in starting the business, particularly as a legal nurse consultant. We talked about my experience as an expert witness and how I would advise legal nurse consultants coming in, what they should do, or if that's an opportunity that they should avail themselves to. And then we talked about different opportunities that I had throughout my career and how I accepted them and what I thought about them and, and how I developed that into expansion of my biz business. We also talked about writing and developing writing and communication skills and how I personally developed that in my practice and what ideas that I offered to new LNCs that they can use as well in their practice. You'll get a lot of pearls of wisdom from Cheryl, who looks back on her career, as she has said, from 30 years ago when she got started and she's been continuously in business and very successful and well-respected in the field. Cheryl Gaddy, G-A-T-T-I, and I will be coming up next on Legal Nurse Podcast. Be sure to catch her show. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.